You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So we're launching this new sermon series today called At The Movies. It's a series where we look at pop culture around and we bring out some of the timeless truths that we see in our scripture that are then somehow taught in these movies. And today, we're going to dive into a pretty difficult one. And so I want to begin by asking you a rhetorical question. I want you to think for a few seconds on this one. And, and, and again, rhetorical. If you don't know what that means, I don't want to hear your answer. Keep it inside. What emotions and thoughts come to mind when I say this word? Equality. Equality. Now, I'd surmise that a a vast majority of us in the room uh, had some sort of thoughts around political agendas or social movements, and depending on where you land in that world, you may have either had a, a negative connotation with the word equality, or you may have had a positive connotation. I would think it was probably the former, uh, just knowing kind of where we are and, and everything. Right now, that seems, that word, equality, seems like a pretty loaded word. In a month that seems like there's new norms and new questions concerning this idea of equality, as we look into this movie, and most importantly, we look into the Word of God, I, I believe we as Christians need to ask a simple question. What is equality, and what does it look like in our lives, in our everyday lives? What, what, what does equality tangibly look like? It's a loaded word, right? You have issues in, uh, surrounding it in our political and social spheres. You have the LGBTQ+, you have racially driven divisions, you have pro-life, pro-choice, you have men and women on different aisles of issues, and with all of this going on and this one word, equality, you have a vast array of miscommunication, right? There's some people that would say that they're A, and the B's heard that they're opposite of B just because they're A, when that isn't necessarily the case. Just because they're A doesn't mean they're opposite of B, but... Somehow, in our world, that's how it shakes out. The definition of equality, if you can, you know, trust dictionaries, is the state of being equal, especially in status, rights, and opportunities. Now, I'm not so naive to think that uh, in this one short session this morning, we're going to tackle all of the world's issues of equality and all of our understandings, but what what I do hope is that through the exegetical preaching of of God's Word, we can begin to understand equality for humanity from God's perspective. Our bottom line for this morning, if you're taking notes, is all people are created in the image of God and therefore deserve equality. Genesis chapter 1, beginning verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. In the very beginning of all things, God, God lays this down in creation that He's going to create mankind in His own Trinitarian image. 
He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The title of my sermon this morning is that Jesus cemented level ground. Jesus cemented level ground. So like I said, we're in this movie, or this, this, this series of movies where we're looking at a text and we're, we're bringing out timeless truths that maybe we can see in pop culture. Now sometimes these are going to be positive and uplifting truths like how God has called us to be friends or to love others. While other times those truths might be more on the negative side. They may highlight sins in the world and sins in our own hearts that we need to give to God. And we may have to wrestle with culture a little. Issues like sexuality and idolic self-worship. So this, mor- this morning, we're, we're looking at the movie Zootopia, and, and you probably saw from the trailer, and you probably even watched the movie before, but if you haven't, uh, just a quick little snapshot. The, the movie is, is basically uh, about this young bunny who uh, holds a lot of Americana-type ideals. You know, hard work e- equals accomplishment, and pressing through hard things will, will get you to the area that you want to get in life. And it's this whole movie where this bunny, she's told she's a bunny her whole life. And she can't do anything outside of being just a little bunny farmer. And so she, with her entire being, decides that she wants to be a police officer. Which is left to, for the most part in her world, the predators. And so being prey, it's going to be a, a long road for her. But she goes to the academy, she, she works hard, she, she moves through all of the places, and she eventually does become this police officer, or meter maid as she's called at a later point. And uh, as she gets into this job, there's a case of missing mammals, and people are trying to figure out what's going on, and she teams up with what would be an opposite personality. Someone who, who you would never expect for them to mesh well, and for the most part, for a while, they don't. The fox and the bunny. And they, they team up, and there, there seems to be good teamwork, but at some point, the teamwork breaks down. See, both individuals, the fox and the bunny, go into this situation carrying baggage, carrying prejudices and carrying things from their their previous experiences in life. And so they're trying to kind of set those aside and move forward, but until they acknowledge what's happened in their life, they they can't ever move forward. So I I want to show the first clip in in this movie, just kind of give us kind of an understanding of where where this is going, and then we're going to get to our text this morning and, and unpack it. So if you could show that first clip. My favorite part is that little cub. He's like, doot, doot, doot. like he's he's pretty funny. Uh, but he, he, here's the thing. So this movie, I mean, you can read a lot into what's going on, but you you can clearly see what in our culture is kind of being taught. And there's this this idea. They even say later in the movie that you know, uh, I think the artist uh, Shakira, she's one of the voices, and and she goes, you know, Zootopia is this crazy beautiful town where everyone comes together to celebrate their unique differences. And, and I think it's interesting because we're going to dive into this in just a moment, but when you look at, at, at Scripture and what God really calls 
for humanity. There's very few times, if any, where God says, hey, celebrate your differences only. So he tells us to celebrate our differences in the union with Christ. And so there's this rub that we see in culture that it's like, hey, be who you are, and then somehow, even though we all come from very different places, we have very different morals and ethics and things guiding us, but somehow when we get to this utopia place, this zootopia, somehow we'll all come together even though you may have a very different view of life than me, and I don't know about you, but it don't work like that, said in layman's terms. And so what, what I want us to do is I want us to dive into Scripture this morning and, and kind of see h- how God calls us to live and, and ultimately then how God calls us to see each other equally and, and live with this sense of equality. So, diving into this text, Galatians chapter 2, I want to I make sure that we understand what's going on. So, Peter is in Antioch and he's been gathering with Christians. Now, uh, at this point, gathering with Christians doesn't look like what it looks like for us in the, in the sense of uh, large gatherings and buildings that look like churches. Most of the time, they would have been gathering in what w- were house churches. And so Peter would have then met with different groups of people in this fairly large city, Antioch, and some of them would have been Gentile-type believers. These are people who didn't grow up Jewish, who are not Jewish at all. They have no Jewish heritage. They have no Jewish ethnicity. Culturally, they are completely different from Jewish people. And so Peter is gathering with them, and he's hanging out with them. And when when these gatherings happen, there would have been a a kind of a a setup of of how this would have worked. They would have gathered together, and they would have maybe had a quick little appetizer, and then they would have read some scriptures together, and they would have sung some hymns, and then they would have had some prayer time, and then they would have gone to, likely, the Lord's Feast. And this would have been something similar to, if you remember, we talked about the Seder dinner, not exactly like this, but some sort of dinner where they then broke bread, and remembered Jesus. And and they went to the table of communion. And so Peter is doing this with all groups of people. He's doing it with the Gentiles. He's doing it with the Jews. Now this is in Antioch, a big city. Then all of a sudden, James and the people of the circumcision, we'll just call these Jews because I don't have enough time to get into all of the differences and what all of this means, but for you know basic understanding, some different Jewish people show up. Now Antioch is a primarily Gentile town, so it would have been a much more... Uh, densely populated Gentile group than it would have been a Jewish population. So this specific group of Jews show up, probably a little fancier in their life, a little more up-to-do, a little more connected in the the Jewish traditions and higher up in, in the church. And Peter begins to, most theologians believe, kind of slowly start backing away from his hangouts and gathering points with the Gentiles. Now, it wouldn't have happened overnight. It wouldn't have been this thing like as soon as Peter saw the Jews, oh, don't let them see me with these people. It probably would have began with Peter going to maybe one less house than he did. Or, or, or something like he would show up for the beginning parts, but as soon as they began to broke bread together, break bread together, he would have kind of pulled away from that and then gone to these Jews' house and started hanging out with them more and more and more. And Paul begins to notice this. Now, Paul is writing all of this in the context to the church of Galatia of trying to defend his apostleship. So the the verses previous, prior to this, Paul is kind of saying, hey, you can trust me because I've been set apart as an apostle. And here's kind of the 
the, the way that I went through to get this. And he talks about how, how he was approved by the, the, the first apostles and disciples. And, and so he actually uses this as an example of kind of proving, hey, look, I, I know what I'm talking about. I even called out the leader of leaders, Peter. Wouldn't you like that on your resume? Hey, I even showed up the best guy, right? I don't know if I put that on my resume or not. But, you know, this is Paul, inspired word of God, so it's good for us. So Paul comes in, and he's noticing that Peter isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing, and he calls Peter out to say, hey, why are you no longer gathering with the Gentiles? Like, how are they going to understand what has happened? And what we need to know is a little bit of context of Peter's life. So, Peter grew up Jewish, grew up in in the synagogue. He, He would have known all of most of everything that you would have need to know as a good Jewish boy, and then ultimately, man. Now, when Jesus sets Peter up to be kind of the head of the church, Peter then begins in Acts witnessing and preaching the gospel, and he sees thousands of people turn from kind of idolic Judaism to true worship, as he would have probably called it, of God. Now, what you need to know is that it wasn't like he cast aside Judaism and the rest of the apostles didn't say, hey, we're no longer Jewish, right? They still would have gone to synagogue. They still would have held a lot of the same cultural and maybe even kind of worship and ritualistic type of things in their life because they didn't necessarily see this as a new thing. They saw it as a thing that, hey, we twisted and broke this and now we're going to fix it because Jesus has shown us the answer. And so he comes in Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes down. Speaking of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, hey, if you didn't know that, that's today. But comes, and people are giving their lives to Jesus in droves. But Peter still has some baggage. Peter's still kind of working through what does the gospel look like for everyone. And you can know this because if you read through the, the story of the book of Acts, when you get to Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision. It's actually a dream. It's kind of actually one version of your Bible may say he even went to like a trans where God tells him and he says, rise, eat, kill. Now, for most of us, that's like good barbecue dinner. Appreciate that, God. Thanks for praying over my next meal. But for Peter in this situation, he's a little bit confused of what's happening. But specifically, it's going to be attached to all of the Judaism rules that went along with their dietary system. And so he's kind of confused, a little bit of not knowing what's going on, but then simultaneously another vision is then given, and Cornelius, who who is a centurion, has a vision from God, and he sends people searching out for Peter. Now, this this centurion, Cornelius, is is a God-fearing man, and, and, and it looks like in the beginning parts of chapter 10 that Cornelius is kind of like engaging with Yahweh, with God, God the Father. Like he's, he, he's trying to search for answers. He, he's got a big heart. And so God gives him this vision, and he sends these people out looking for Peter. As soon as they arrive to Peter, Peter gets it. He's putting two and two together, and he's going, oh, wow. So here's what God is doing. He is no longer just saying that the gospel is only for the Jews. It is for everybody. It's bringing all people in. Matter of fact, he, he even says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, after kind of meeting with Cornelius and understanding what's going on, he says, 
Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now what's interesting to me is that Peter has this aha moment. He has this moment with God to understand that, hey, the way things have always been done, kind of Jews versus Gentiles is how it would have felt to a lot of Jewish people. That's broken. That's, that's no longer the normal way. But he still then runs into the issues that we see in Galatians chapter 2. How? How can this happen to such a God-fearing man? How can this happen to such a, a great leader? What does all this mean? What does it mean for equality? What does it mean for how that looks like in our life? Well, if you go back to Peter's words, it says God shows no partiality, so it means there's no favoritism in the sense of like he's going to choose this people group over that people group, although originally God did set up the covenant with the Jews, what does he then do? He expands it to all people. Now, what's interesting about all people, Romans 5.12, Paul says that all, or let me quote it exactly, let me don't paraphrase it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So essentially what, what, what Paul is saying is he's actually quoting himself from earlier in 3.23, it says, for the all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so the first thing that you see in the Bible is that all humanity was created in God's image. Every single person that lives, that has ever lived, and that will ever live was created with the image of God burned in them. Now, don't, don't go to think that this means necessarily that God has hair and flesh and, and looks exactly like us in that sense. We were having that conversation with my kids the other day. What does God look like? Well, Jesus looks kind of like a human, but I don't know what God the Father looks like. I, I, I mean, I think we like to like anthropomorphize this kind of situation where God the Father looks like this, but when we say that we're image bearers of God, what it doesn't mean is that he all of a sudden took a stamp of what he physically looked like and made us to physically look like that. It could mean, it most likely means that there's some innate ability inside of us, something that he's given us that represent Him. You could look at the way we have dominion over this world. That could be it. There's a lot of different theories and, and theologians have debated it for years and I'm not going to debate it and you can have some time in your prayer closet and maybe the Lord will speak to you about it at that point. But here's the deal. What, what it does mean is that we are made in God's image. There's something special about us. All of us. Black, white, brown, any other colors out there. Like, Disformity, broken, completely working, all the things. Every single human being, equal. Made in the image of God. And then, what does Paul say? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we were both equally made with the image, and then we equally failed. Right? We all have equal sin. We say equal sin, are, you know, are all sins equal? In the eyes of God, and as far as separation goes... Yes, all sins are equal. But in the way that sins affect each of us and all of us, this might rock your world, sins are not equal. See, we like to, I don't know where, where it came from, but in the church we like to say, oh, all sins are equal. 
they are is a sense of you being separated from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he begins talking about how there are sins that have a higher toll on our physical bodies, on on who we are as people. And so he, he leads us to this point to say, our sins are not equal in the sense of how we operate in this world. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a per- every excuse me every other sin a person commits is outside the body meaning sins that are not sexually immoral all of these are sins that someone commits outside of the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his or their own body so in this moment what we have is we have a a picture a, a, a kind of systematic theology, biblically, that every single person was created in the image of God, and that every single person fell from God's glory, from, from His honor, from, from the place of kind of not, not necessarily standing equal to God, but standing with God. And so equality then begins to paint this picture of like we're all doomed. But here's the glorious picture of Christianity. Christianity isn't about cleansing yourself. It's not this picture of, hey, let me go and fix this sin right here so that I can then rise up the ladder. And I brought up the sexually immoral thing because I think here's something the church is extremely guilty of. We heighten sins and we try to teach people that if they'll just erase this sin, their life will be closer to God. Let me give you a specific example. Oftentimes churches will get up and they'll preach to or against homosexuality or, or sexual deviancies. And they'll say, hey, look, if you'll just quit doing these things because these are the things that are sending you to hell. And so what does the hearer hear? Well, hey, if I just quit doing this, or if I just quit doing that, then everything's good, right? It's all copacetic. Like everything's going to, I'm going to move up a rung. That's not the truth. That's not how it works, right? Like, you can clean up all day. You're still dirty. You're still broken. Scripture says you're still dead outside of Christ. And so what we need to begin to realize and begin to see and begin to understand is that Christianity isn't about cleansing yourself. It's about receiving the cleansing blood of Jesus. And when that happens in your life, then you can begin to separate and understand what it means to be an image bearer of God. And you can begin to see what equality is. Because what equality truly is, is every single one of us was made in the image of God. Hopefully you're going to take that one away. Because I've said it like five times now. And the second one is, every single one of us is fallen. Like we're broken, we're sinful, we're dead in our trespasses. There's equal here. So equal in point one, equal in point two. So equality, we've got it. Does equality ever change from that point? And here's the answer. No. No. See, when we get adopted into the family of God, 
we are still image bearers of God. When the person who has rejected the gospel and, and lived their life and, and die and they stand before God, they are not equal in the sense of walking in heaven with Jesus because they didn't receive the cleansing blood of Jesus, but they are no less, while they walk on this earth, an image bearer of God. John 3.16, He came to save the world. This is a nuanced issue, and so I want to make sure I'm very clear and you understand what, what I'm saying here because we have a tendency in this issue to go one way or the other. Right? We're either a people who are just like all grace and sin doesn't matter, or we're a people who hold your sin like it's every single nail driven into Jesus' arm in the sense of we are holding you accountable and we're putting you on a holiness track. Does God call us to be holy? Absolutely. I had someone ask me recently, can you be doing these things and still be a Christian. And they, they listed off sins. And I look back at them and I said, here's the difference between a Christ follower and someone who's maybe living what you're talking about. I think the Bible makes it very clear that if you are in love with God, if you've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, set apart for His glory, you are His child, there may be sin in your life. There may be sin that repeats over and over, even strongholds at times. Here's the difference between the person who's living in sin and the Christ follower who has sin that is weighing them down. One is going to feel complete and total regret, remorse, conviction, while the other is going to think they're living in freedom. And so when we as the church are beginning to enter into this month, Pride Month, and, and issues with, with, so revolving around racial identity and you know, Juneteenth and all these things, what we need to begin to wrap our, our hearts and our heads around is this text, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we are all one. We are adopted, chosen, redeemed into his family. And sometimes we, we have that belief that that has then kind of propelled us into a different place. And so the, the lost around us are just sorry, good for nothings. Right? And if you hold the belief that the lost around you are sorry, good for nothings, I would ask you the question, of what did you do to earn your salvation? Because I'm the same sorry good for nothing that I was before Christ, that I am after Christ, with one exception. And he called me out of it. He brought me back to life. He, he gave me everything. And so it's nothing that I did. It, it's not like all of a sudden, I'm a better person because of me. I worked hard. I read my Bible. I went to church. I gave. I did all these things. He chose me. I received the calling. And so when we look at this idea of equality and rocking around our world and dealing with people who are very different than us, they're holding views that we would say are 
liberal or crazy or just absolutely against the Bible. Maybe we should begin to approach them from a place of grace and a place of equality and saying, look, yes, as a Christ follower, we believe that X, Y, Z is a sin. But God can make all things right. And so, I, I, I poured over this sermon for a while. It, it's one of those that, it's not one of those happy ones, right? It's not one of those ones you leave church going, wow, we talked about tough stuff in church. Isn't that amazing? But I think it's extremely important in our days and the days ahead with our kids and the future generations that we begin to understand what it looks like to maybe be the minority in our country. Because I think most of us still have a, a, a thought and, and something in our hearts where Christianity and, and Christian morals and ethics lead the way. And when Christianity and morals and ethics and the way that we view the world, our worldview kind of leads our country and our states and our counties, things are kind of easy. But are things equal? Like, is the person who is struggling with same-sex attraction, are they given a chance? Are they loved beyond the sin in their life? Or are we just casting them aside and saying, you're gay, you're weird? In the days of race, and, and some would even say today, I'm white, you're black, stay over there. I, I'm, I'm Latino, you're Asian, stay over there. Like we have, to begun, we have to begin as a church to somehow realize that every single person on this earth was made in the image of God. And so when God calls us to go out and make disciples of all nations, He isn't saying, hey, go find the people who are super clean and bring them to Me. Go find the people who look like you and bring them to Me. He says, go to everyone. And, and keep your prejudices and your bias and your baggage somewhere else because the ground at the cross is level. So no matter how bad, quote-unquote, your sins are or even were, His blood covers it all. And so if we want to reach the broken people of this world, we have got to start looking at them like they are people. I saw several people post uh, on, on social media this past week at the beginning of June something in, in the same lines of speaking about the LGBTQ stuff. Something along the lines of being able to be openly gay rather than in a grave. And the part that breaks my heart the most about that statement is that we in the church have forced broken people out of a place where they can even have a conversation. Look, homosexuality, heterosexuality, deviancy, sex outside of marriage, and other crazy things I'm not going to go into are sin, period. 
But so is lying. And so is gossip. And so is cheating. There are a million different ways that you separated yourself from God. You and me. And we need to begin to be able to even have a conversation with people who right now see us 100% as their enemy. The church does a terrible job with racial lines. Like, we are not, I mean, look, at, look around this room. Let's just call a spade a spade. There's a bunch of white people in here. And I love white people, but I love black people. I, I love Latinos. I love Asians. Like, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we live in a city that is much more diverse than 100 white people in a room. And some of the, the, the issues of why our church isn't more divided and why churches are, excuse me, why our church isn't more inclusive in the sense of having people from different places comes from we don't love well. And I think sometimes we don't love well because we don't see some people as equal. We don't see them as image bearers of God. We feel justified in our sin. If I could sit across the table from Jesus and have a conversation with him about how I should love my neighbor. Quite literally for me, I I have a, a black neighbor. Would he have me treat that black neighbor any different than I treat my white neighbor? Probably not. If I had a neighbor that was living openly in some, so I think another one of our staff guys, they've got a neighbor that's living in pretty open sin in some different ways. Should they treat that person any differently? No. Now, there comes a point as the church, as the corporation, like when we have people come lead and be a part of our, our church, the church is for born-again believers. I mean, that's what we are. We are that. But the gathering... Anybody can come to this. Anybody can hear the life-changing gospel. And when you receive that gospel, I believe that the chains of sin fall. And you'll see the wrong in your life. And you'll begin to work and turn to the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to see people get saved, we want to see people move closer to Jesus, we need to begin to look to see that every single person has even ground at the foot of the cross. That's how you were saved. That's how I was saved. We talk about loving God, loving people, and investing in His kingdom. We can't begin to love people the way that God has called us to until we get rid of some of the prejudice and the bias in our hearts and begin to see people like who they are. People that God desires to save. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You'll make much of your word that as we struggle to understand and operate in a sense of equality, not not in a worldly sense and in a secular sense, but in a sense that you've given us and called us that all people are made in your image. And yes, then all people then fell and have a broken, shattered image. God, your word says that you desire to save 
all. So God, I just pray through the power of your Spirit that you'll move our hearts to abandon prejudices and biases and previous experiences that hinder us from taking your gospel to all people. Give us the courage. Give us the strength and the peace to be able to have difficult conversations with people that live on, in a very different quote-unquote world than us. Help us to, to cease holding lost people to saved people's standards. Give, give us the, the balance of what it, what it means to be redeemed in Christ but yet seeking the lost. Some of us have family members, friends that are struggling with different tendencies and even, even prejudices and other things in their life. God, allow us a, a foothold through the power of Your Spirit to have gospel-centered conversations where we can reveal that the equality of man is that we're broken and we are in need of Your grace. Give us the words to say to point people back to You. Help us become less so that You can become more. God, we just pour our hearts out. And we want to invest into Your kingdom as You've called us to because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Help us be a church in this city that reaches people who might even make us uncomfortable. Let us rest in you for comfort. That's how we fight our battles. We, we, we worship you. We praise you. We sing to you. And God, in all the discomfort of this world, help, help us see that you are the rock of comfort in our lives. Help us take a small step towards you this morning. And God's people said,